Welcome to this week's podcast from Capital Church's Young Adult Service. We hope this message encourages you, and thank you for joining us. Let's go to Psalm 73. Been in a series I listened two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Pastor Tracy talking about uh, God as he whispers to you, right? He speaks in a still, small voice. Uh, and I, I want to... I wanted to talk on that theme, uh, but I also want to talk about what, is, what do you do when God doesn't whisper to you? Like, what do you do when God's silent, right? I think, eh, we'll get to it. Maybe, maybe we panic, I don't know. Um, but Psalm 73, you can read along with me. I'm actually gonna throw, I'm gonna skip down to 21, verse 21. It says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish, in ignorance, I was like a beast. Tw- Some of you are like, wow, that's like my roommate right now. <laughs> Nevertheless, I will continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And is there anything, nothing on earth that I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart fail, but the God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good for me to be near God. Someone say, it is good for me to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of all of all your works. Father, we did it, today we just ask for, once again, just your continual um, grace and your insight to every heart, every mind that's here. Uh, we just give you this night. I still think it's funny that, that college students around this age show up on a Sunday evening. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, always, I'm always challenged by it. And I'm so grateful, God, that uh, you, you see and you hear and you know the audience is here. You know where they're at. You know their hearts. You know their uh, shortcomings, their, you know, their strengths, all of it. And I love the fact that you reject none of us. Uh, but today you have a word to speak to every heart and every life. And so we just give you these next few moments. Lord, be with us. Uh, be with us with your presence. Transform, change, and challenge us in, in godly way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Has anyone ever, it's kind of a silly question, but has anyone ever have a, a bad day? Yeah, yeah. Do you have that one friend though? You know who the friend is. That they encourage that, hey, it's gonna be okay. Who's that friend? Who's the it's gonna be okay friend? Right, is it James right there? It's gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know who you are. And then what do you know? It gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse. But then right after that, it, it just gets so bad that you can't even, can't even fathom it. But just when you thought it couldn't get any better, guess what happens? It doesn't. And it, the bottom falls out from underneath you. Come on, anyone ever have one of those days? Some of you might say, well, I've had one of those like months, you know, maybe, maybe one of those years. I want for a moment just to, just to consider what happens when uh, everyone around you is saying it's gonna be okay, but in your own heart, in your own scenario, in your own life, it's not getting any better. Like, let's talk, let's, let's talk there for a moment. Because come on, I've been to a lot of church services. It is so easy to pray when life for me is going really well. I can ask for anything. 
and I got the faith for anything, right? It's like, let's go. This is great. Everything is in line. There's nothing out of step in my life. Uh, it doesn't matter if, you know, this person hit this note or that note. It does, people can cut you off and you're waving at them. It's, everything is going well. But what happens with your faith and what happens with your, your character and what happens with the integrity of your own soul when you're going through days that are just really, really bad? What, what do you do when it comes to your relationship with Christ? Um, that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Mark 5, I think, is a, is a really good picture of this. Psalm 73 is a picture of it, the psalmist having a really bad day. And that's, that's kind of... That's making real, real, real light of the situation. He's talking about how the wicked, they, they boast. The wicked are arrogant. The wicked, it seems like everything is going their way. Uh, they're, they're withholding, and yet it still looks like they're being blessed. They're cursing people, and yet it still looks like that uh, more is being added to them. All these things seem like is piling up on them for an advantage, but the psalmist is probably considering, in, in my life, I'm doing everything I know to do. But I love the confession, and I don't think we confess like this enough. That's why I started in verse 21. It says, when my soul was embittered. When's the last time you made that your confession to the Holy Spirit? When my soul is embittered. Because if you read the verses prior to this, it's explaining the problem that this, this writer is going through. But he comes to this moment. And when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and I was arrogant. Meaning what, he, what happened? I think he's saying that he's allowed all of his non-understanding and all of his uncertainty and all of his pain and suffering uh, to really get and affect him inside his heart and his attitude towards, towards Yahweh. But there's something that occurs here. He says, nevertheless, he goes, regardless of the bad days, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you my refuge. When you look at Mark chapter five, Mark chapter five uh, is filled with, with action. It's filled with drama. And when you skip to the second story in Mark chapter five, it's the story of a synagogue leader by the name of Jairus. And he comes to, to Jesus. And in verse 21, it says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd had gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. And, this is Jesus, he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Meaning that's, there were a lot of people and they're getting really, really close. And there was a woman who had a discharge or hemorrhage of blood for 12 years. Uh, who had suffered much under many physicians and spent everything that she had, and she didn't get better. Matter of fact, she, she grew worse. So with these two stories, what do you do about these two stories? Because this is what I would call bad day scenarios. You have a dad, I can relate because I'm a dad. And so he, whether we know he's a believer or not, we know that there was something that happened in his heart that causes him to fall at the feet of not just a good teacher, not just a just brilliant uh, rabbi of the day, but he recognizes that Jesus has something that the other teachers doesn't have. He has an authority. He actually can do something. Right, It's not like Jesus was a medical doctor. So it's not like he got word on the street that Jesus is this, this great 
medical physician and he'll work some treatments uh, on, on your daughter. Now, I think, I think rumors spreading that everywhere Jesus goes, miracles are taking place. Like the impossible that just you can't make up, things are just sprouting all over and they all center on, on this guy named Jesus. And so here he is, this is a dad having a bad day. He falls at the feet of Jesus and he implores Jesus, say, come to my house. My daughter's at the point of where she's gonna die. And I love what Jesus does. He's like, all right, let's, let's go. But then what happens? Like, have you ever asked, but the ask and the outcome feel like they're like decades apart? Like you ask for something. Come on, let's just for a moment in your life personally. Maybe it's for a family member. Maybe it's for a situation in your own home. Maybe it's for your future. Maybe it's for something you've been, you've been struggling with. And there's been this ask. You really genuinely feel like, yeah, God responds to it. He answers. But between the answer and the outcome, it's like forever. Yeah. This is probably what it felt. This moment with Jesus and being away from his daughter though it might not have been that long, it probably felt like an eternity this dad, to this dad. And then what happens? Oh my gosh, Jesus gets distracted. I don't know about you, but do you like it when Jesus gets distracted? What do you mean he gets distracted? Well, think about it. He says, yeah, we're gonna go, but then he doesn't go immediately. He doesn't go immediately. What, what happens? Well, in between the ask and the outcome, I just, Look at Mark 5 for a moment. There is a large crowd that crowds Jesus. And every person in that crowd had a need. And so now this, this father is thinking, no, we were like, we were on our way. I mean, she's gonna be dead by the time we get there. We were on our way. But in the midst of that, we can't forget about this lady who'd been suffering for 12 years. 12 years, says that she was uh, dealing with a blood hemorrhage for 12 years. She, it was significant enough to where it says she spent everything that she has. Like bank account is depleted. Not only is the bank account depleted, all of the homopathic, all of the natural ways about trying to get healed, uh, all the doctors she's gone to, all the clinics, nothing has made her better. It says, as a matter of fact, that she's, she's gotten a lot worse. So I would say dad's experienced a bad day. I would, I would say that nameless woman in Mark chapter five uh, has experiencing a horrible decade. So then this is, this is, this is the idea. What, what do you do about it? What do they do about it? And this is, I, I want to be sobering just for a moment because I, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can come into, let's say, a church building like this. We can enter into a worship service together. And for some reason, we feel like we have to like uh, take our uncertainties and our unknown and our non-understanding and somehow shelf it for a moment so that we can have faith to engage with everyone else and worship Jesus for who he is. But that's, a misunderstanding of who we're worshiping if we do that. See, what we have to do today is we have to take our misunderstanding, we have to take our uncertainties, and that's the problem. I don't think we know like how to really, what to do with uncertainty. Is uncertainty, is it a lack of faith? Is it, is it a flaw in, in me? Uh, should I just kind of will my way and just, uh, just toughen it out and just keep persevering and push through it? Um, is, is that what uncertainty is, is saying? 
Or is uncertainty, is it, is it a human thing? Is our understanding, is, is, that a, is that something wrong with us? Or is it just one of those things that highlights, oh, to that degree, that's what probably makes you human, right? And not God. Because in our day and age, we're so, you know, we're, we're information overload. I could say one fact right now, and uh, a percentage of you would start on your phone and try and look that up and fact check me. And then two out of the 40 that did it would be bold enough after service to say, hey, you're wrong. <laughs> Google's told me otherwise, right? We're like, it's, we're, we're in the age of uh, search engines and we're in the age of information overload and information is power and understanding is control. And so when we get all the information, we get all the understanding, oh, then we have this sense of being in control, but we find that it does the exact opposite. It makes more buzz in our brain. It makes more buzz in our heart. It makes more buzz in our apartments. It makes more buzz in our homes because we're just overwhelmed and inundated with information, 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 and we don't know what to do with it. And if we're not careful, we use that same false security to approach our relationship with, with God. If I can understand him and I can gain all the information I can, then, then uh, I, I can put my full trust and my full assurance in him. And, and what I found is that's just not the case. When it comes to God, um, sometimes he chooses, you ready, to be silent. So then what do you do when God is silent on certain things? Because there's a lot in the Bible that God is unsilent on or that he's silent on. There's a lot that he speaks about too. Plenty of it. It's, it's all right here, but there's a lot that if he spoke on every little detail, answered every question that your thought thinks of, you wouldn't be able to have a Bible that you could carry, right? So he's silent on things. So then what do you do with silence? I know this, that when my wife is silent, especially on a car ride, it's one of two things. Either I did something really wrong and we're really, re, like reliving like childhood or like junior high, like childhood days. And so then we're gonna see how long we can go to where we just listen to road noise and even my breathing, you know, makes her like look out the side window. Like, and then I'll test the waters, right? You, just, you know, you, I know that I've been married for a long time. Like if I do something wrong and I know it just ticks my wife off, I'll test the waters and just see if I can get us back just to normal conversation. And then what I find out is there's just no such thing as normal conversation uh, when, when she's upset. And vice versa, I'll pick on me too. Me too, I just, you know, same thing. So is, is God, is, is he silent because he's mad at you, right? Because you did something wrong and he's, he's mad at you. Uh, the other option, uh, this is typically what it is, is in car rides, my wife and I, we've, we've learned that we can be silent in each other's company because it showcases the type of relationship that we have, that we're close, we're best friends, it's healthy, uh, and there's no other person on planet earth that I would want to be with and vice versa. So that shows that we don't need to be chatting all the time and have constant conversation for awkward fills. There's no awkward fills in our relationship because we've been with each other for 20 some years um, and we love each other. So there is this ability to be in each other's presence and not have to talk all the time. I think if we're not careful, we just get like, we're junkies. God speaks to me, God speaks to me, God speaks to me, God speaks to me, God speaks to me. What's wrong? God said, speak to me. Like, when's the last time you, you, you heard anything from me? It's, it's been a while. Like, when's the last time you read like, 
like, or had a prophetic word. Like, it's been a while. There's a, like a, a prophet that came to the Capitol and he didn't call me out. Like, <laughs> call everyone else out. But, do you have a Bible? Yes, I have a Bible. Well, do you know that the Bible is so prophetic? And the word itself is prophetic words to you. So God does speak to us all the time. I think another question is when he does speak to you, uh, you speaks to me, let's, I'm putting myself in here. What do I do about it? So there's times that because the relationship is not because God's mad at you, but because God just knows who he is and he's building this relationship with you that sometimes it's okay for the Holy Spirit to be quiet and not speak all the time. Um, I think what we have to do is learn, okay, what are we gonna do about it? And we did it already when the worship team was playing and we're gonna go back into this before we're done this evening, but uh, there's something that I like to call worshiping faith. So what do you do when you don't understand it all? Uh, there's an author by the name of Christopher Wright and he says that um, faith seeks understanding, faith builds on understanding where granted, when it can, but faith doesn't finally depend on understanding. Meaning it's not about me collecting all the information on God. And if God could answer that question that has plagued, let's say my family or this area of my life, and if God can answer that, then man, I can finally put my full weight and trust in who he is. That's not how, that's not how scripture uh, highlights how it operated. There's, there's a great company of people. If you did a study all the way from the beginning with Adam, all the way through to the end chapters of Revelation of characters throughout scripture that don't know everything. And there's these big moments of non-understanding moments in their life, but what they choose to do with it is what makes the difference in their life. So it's not about the fact that I don't experience pain or suffering, or it's not a fact that I don't uh, experience moments of lack in my understanding or non-understanding. I think what it comes down to is uh, what do I do with it? And I think the picture of Psalm 73 is a picture of the psalmist who says, this is all that's happening in my life that describes a really bad day. But what I choose to do at the end of this moment, at the end of this day, and with my entire life is take all my bad days, all my pain, everything that I've suffered, everything that I've gone through, and I choose to root my non-understanding in the reality of Jesus. And from there, man, I can, I can worship. From there, I can say it is well. From there, I can say be glorified. From there, I can enter in with every worship service in every church, not because the feel is perfect and not because everything in my life is going perfectly fine, but even in my brokenness, because I've learned to engage in this worshiping faith, regardless what happens to me and what I go through. God, I trust that you are first and foremost and best in my life. What's Mark 5? Mark 5 is this. You ready? It's the virus bringing his bad day, the, the reality that his daughter is dying, and it's He's taking his lack of understanding and how could this happen moment and he's placing the feet of Jesus and he's asking Jesus to help. And if you read the whole of Mark 5, you see that Jesus does get to the house where the daughter's at. And in Aramaic, he says, little girl, it's time to get up. 
It's almost like waking a kid up from a nap. That's the authority he had over this girl who was dead. He's like, hey, little girl, it's time to get up and take life back again. And what happens? The whole household goes berserk. And Jesus was, and I know you, you caught my humor on that, even though none of you laughed. Uh, Jesus was never distracted. Like Jesus didn't say, yes, I wanna help you and we're gonna go to your house. Let's make our way there. But first, I wanna run a few errands. You cool with that? No, it, it, it wasn't that. I think really what he was doing, he's doing two things. He was addressing two major needs that were in that, and there was a lot of them, but two major needs that were in that crowd. And with addressing the woman who had a bad decade, uh, the man who is on his way back to his home, his faith is being encouraged. Because he's thinking, whoa, whoa. If this guy can bring healing to her who's been in pain and suffering, I mean, the expectation of those steps leading back home must have just been building faith upon faith upon faith upon faith. And then I love what he does when he gets there. He takes Peter, James, and John, and he says, hey, fellas, get rid of all the other non-believers, those who are haters, those who are saying this can't happen. And what does Jesus do? He controls the atmosphere. He goes, we're gonna make this household an atmosphere of faith. Not a, hear, hear me now, not an atmosphere of understanding. They are gonna have no idea what I'm about ready to do, and I'm not gonna even stick around to explain it afterwards. I'm just gonna call this dead girl. I'm gonna call her in this Aramaic language. I'm gonna say, little girl, it's time to get up. You can't put your mind around that. I read it and I can't put my mind around it. But I don't wanna forget about the, the lady who's there as well. What'd she do? She did the same thing that dad did. She said, I've spent everything. I'm in a crowd. I know Pastor Tracy's preached this before. If people find out what my ailment is, uh, because I'm unclean, it's gonna make them unclean. So there's a lot that's going against me. But I think she said this, she's like, I've heard of this guy, I would lose him, I know what he can do. Uh, what do I have to lose? I'm gonna trust that he has the answer for my life. What does she do? She takes 12 years of suffering and pain. Instead of getting uh, to a place where she becomes embittered, instead of getting to a place where she's like, whatever, this guy's a joke. Christianity's a joke. God's a joke. God's left me. God didn't love me. If God loved me, then he would, he would be here when, when I've asked for him. And she would have done what a lot of our culture and what even some of us have had and done, even our conversations to God. She would have done that, but she says, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out in faith, not in understanding. Hear me now. Faith seeks understanding. Faith builds on understanding where it's granted. But faith ultimately or finally does not depend on understanding. No, no, no. Faith is simply a, a reliance to trust Jesus even in the non-understanding moments of your life, even the pain moments, uh, the, the not okay moments. And so what she does is she says, I'm gonna give my whole life, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna reach out. And what happens, Jesus takes a moment and says, he blesses her for it in front of the whole crowd. He says, it's, it's your faith, not your understanding. Come on, how do you explain that? Well, come on, if you read your Bible, Shane, she touches his, his garments, and from there, the virtue comes out of him and heals her. Cool, okay, how'd that happen? Like, what, what does that look like? Um, you, you, you can't understand it. So what, what do you do? You, 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 tie your, you tie your faith and your trust to it, and, and look, what, 
look what happens. Uh, so she sets this example of both of them, of rooting their non-understanding uh, in the very uh, reality of, of King Jesus. Um, I think we have to take our uh, bad days. I think we have to take our pain. I think we have to take our uncertainty. I also think this, and we have to connect that to Jesus. I also think we have to be okay, being okay, not being okay. But not solo. Being okay, being okay, not being okay, solo is a bad place to be. Hear me now. But being okay, being okay that you're not okay as you connect it to Jesus is right where you need to be. And what, what have I found? Well, I found in that moment that Jesus has this beautiful way of walking you through some things. If you read the Psalm, the Psalmist says that he, he admits that he was in a bit bad attitude, a dirt bag to a lot of people around him, essentially, that he was having a bad attitude. But I love the fact that it says, uh, you didn't let go of my right hand. So it's not a picture of he did all these things to get better. It's a picture of that even when I was in that mindset, God, Yahweh has been faithful to hold my right hand even through all the ups and downs of my faith. And what I've concluded is no matter what goes on around me that doesn't make sense, what I've learned ah, is that God is always consistent. He will always be my refuge and my rock. See, I think this comes back to also a problem with suffering and just the, just the, the horrible reality of evil. And I've had a few moments in my life as being a pastor where people ask me those questions. Okay, you know, what about what happens? Come on, explain God when it comes to bad things happening to good people. I know people who've just served God all their life and faithful to every detail. And still, man, they get just blindsided with horrific things. And my response to that is like, (sighs) was that a good response? (laughs) You tell me. I don't stay here. I have to to identify with them. Yeah, there's, there's a problem with suffering. People suffer all the time. It, it makes no sense. Yeah. And there, there's a reality of evil. If it was by itself, if you take suffering by itself, th- there's no hope. You take the, the utter evilness of evil by itself, oh, there's no hope. Because evil's in a, it's, you can't get your mind around it. You can't understand evil. It's an absurdity. The reason why you can't make sense of evil is because sense is a good thing and evil to its core has no goodness in it whatsoever. Where did it come from? <sighs> Read the Bible. It won't tell you the origin of evil. We just know as you look at Genesis chapter one, two, and three, something phenomenal happens. You see that Adam and Eve are placed in, in what? The Bible opens in a what setting? Yeah, thank you, a garden my boss right there, uh, opens in a garden setting. Yeah. Um, but then there's like a, what? There's like a snake talking to yeah. Eve in Genesis 3. Do you really think it was a standing talking snake? And if Pastor Chris is up here, he'd ask the question, do you really think it was a standing talking snake? <laughs> like, I think, well, that's what the Bible says. Is it? <laughs> and we know this, and you can 
take one of doc, Pastor, I said Dr. Christ. Yeah, that's prophetic. Dr. Wilde's uh, doctrine class. You see that the, the serpent, Satan was what? He's, he's a liar from the beginning. He's a murderer, as John says. He's a shapeshifter. He's a wizard. He's, he's wicked to the core. He hates everything about you, just not a few things about you, us. Uh, and he's been wreaking havoc from the beginning. Man, by itself, and I got six minutes to wrap this up, by itself, that really stinks. But that's why you can't read the Bible just in short little chunks. You have to take everything in the Bible and you have to put it in this long, arching story. And I'm here, I'm telling you, I'm here tonight just to, to, to encourage you in this. That your pain by itself, you got no chance. Your suffering by itself, you have no chance. But if you take your suffering, your pain, and your lack of understanding, and you put it in the whole overarching narrative of Scripture, oh my gosh, eventually it starts to make sense. And it shows you that what you've gone through matters. What you do right now matters. That your fight matters. That your faith matters. That not your reaction to things matter, but your response to the goodness of God matters. Because Christ in John chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see this. That there is this beautiful plan of redemption that has been initiated by God the Father. He's been in collaboration with his son, Jesus Christ. And when you look at John 3, what you see is that there is this certainty that one day evil will be completely absolved, obliterated, gone. I don't know if we know how good of news that is. Hear me for a minute. In Genesis 1, what does it start? It's a what? Garden. Uh, in uh, John chapter 3, what's John chapter 3 a chapter of? John three sixteen. Come on, NFL end zones know this. John 3, 16. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, God loves the world so much that he does what? He gives, he gives, he gives. He gives his, his only son. There's this exchange that takes place, meaning that which sin has done in our life, how it's at one point, how it's perverted us and how it's twisted thing. And there's been... At one point, this entrance of moral sin and depravity, it's come in and it's affected not just a few people, but all people. And if that was just a story by itself, oh, how hopeless it would be. But you see that we know God loves the world so much and everything that's in it that he makes this beautiful, beautiful exchange, Jesus for us, so that we can have a relationship with God the Father forever. But the story doesn't stay there. That's why you gotta read your Bible, the whole thing, and I'm going to skip a lot of chapters, and you go to Genesis or Revelations chapter 21, Revelations chapter 22. How does the Bible end? What's the scenario? No, not a garden. In a city. Hear me now. It's a city, and you're half right. It's a city. And what's the picture? You guys don't believe me. I can tell. I can see it in your eyes. 
Where, what do you want me to read? Here you go. I wrote it in my notes. Revelation 21, just here. You're gonna have to read it by yourself later. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the earth had ceased to exist and the sea existed no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, descending out of the heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the residence of God is among human beings. What? What is that? That's Emmanuel, God with us. He will live among them and they will be his people. Yeah, Corey, you can start playing. <laughs> and God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will not exist anymore or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have ceased to exist. Oh my God. Revelation 22. Then the angels showed me the river, the water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding uh, fruit each month. Oh, the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. Come on, the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. God's after healing of the nations. Now that, no longer will there be anything accursed. So he takes care of it, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it and his servants will worship him. Come on, think about it, worshiping faith. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. So there's not gonna be any more darkness. He says, you'll need no lamp or light of lamp ever. For the Lord your God will be their lights and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. So actually what you see is you see in Genesis chapter one, you see a garden and you see that God had made Adam and Eve and he's placed them in the garden man, for some reason, the, the origin of, of, of evil was, was already there. So it suggests that Adam and Eve were already placed in a garden when there's a few acts that have already been underway. It's like going to a movie late. You get into, sit down to, to a show, but the screen's been running for a little bit. But for some reason, when you look to see, okay, do did God forget to tell me about that? You start searching through scripture like, well, yeah, 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 yeah. But what, what was before all that? I don't, I don't understand it. And that's when you're like, oh, there's gonna be a lot of things. You're like, I don't know, God. I, I'm not sure, but it seems, and if you have issue with this, just talk to our lead pastor, Pastor Chris, but it seems that Adam and Eve were created, man was created in an act already underway. And there's already cosmic warfare. There's already rebellion in heaven where, where Lucifer, uh, he decided to try and exalt himself amongst, you know, beyond and above God most high. And he rebelled. And in that there was this, there was this judgment brought on him. And then there's this fight and then there's this promise that uh, when Eve has her first child, that there's gonna be an enemy who's gonna try and attack this child, gonna come against everything that humanity stands for. We see that ultimately how that was done. The prophecy was fulfilled as Jesus went on the cross and he died for our sins. He was killed, he was tortured, but he didn't stay dead. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And that's what, hear me now. You gotta, you gotta let this soak in, man. It's like, that's what changed everything. 
That was the, the shocking, sobering reality for the kingdom of darkness. And you have the prophetic passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. You move into what Paul writes about, other epistles. Uh, and what you see is that though evil, we can't get our mind around it. And though sometimes we, we question, okay, what's going on with suffering? When you put it in the full story of Scripture, you realize like, oh, you're not done with us, God. That, yeah, it's because of evil. It's because of the, the, the wickedness and the effects of sin that cause so much damage within, within our life and culture. But I'm glad today and I'm excited tonight just to share this with you that God's not finished. And you don't like float off somewhere. You gotta, you gotta let this soak in. I picked my son up today. He's like, dad, crazy thing. Like, you know, the guy I worked with, my coworker, the guy I was golfing with all last summer. I'm like, yeah, like he died. I go, he died? Yeah, he's like early, mid twenties and had a brain aneurysm and he's gone, like dead. And so I was driving him home before I came here. I go, how you doing? He's like, well, it's a little bit shaking. I go, yeah, death is, death is shaking for sure. I go, but how cool is that, E? That you can't control circumstances around you. None of us can. We can control our response and how we, we take them on. I go, it's funny, tonight I'm, I'm talking about worshiping faith because there's a lot that you don't understand right now. I mean, man, we're getting hit, some doctrine issues. Ooh, what about hell, dad? What if no one told him about Jesus? What's your take on that? I'm like, well, dude, I got to drop you off in 90 seconds. So uh, I'll give you a little rundown real quick of what it seems to me when it comes to Scripture. But I want to encourage you. How awesome is that? That God puts you, he put that person right in front of you. You had no control over it. And I watched you, and I know that you were compassionate and you were kind and you are vocal about what you believe and who you are. And so you don't even know what your time spent, not only that, other people's time spent with this, this young man. You have no clue, the God of the universe, who the Psalm, Psalm 73 says, even though I was going through it, he like, hold my, my right hand. He's like, he's, he's got me, even though I don't, you don't know where this guy's at. So that's what I'm believing. So I'm believing that God had him by his right hand. And God revealed who he is, his goodness, his majesty in the midst of pain, suffering, and trials. And I'm here to tell you tonight, some, we all need this. You need to be reminded that you're part of not just an isolated moment or events or somehow you, you drew the, the, the short stick and you got the bad luck card. No, stop it. That's so demonic. You are here. You're alive. You're going to go through good days and you're going to go through rough days. Right when it feels like it's going to get better, it might get really worse. You can't control that, but what we can control is what we're going to do about it. And my challenge for you, young people, is, is create a lifetime and a legacy where you can say, as for me in my life, I'm serving Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. To stay connected with our community, you can follow us at Capital Young Adults.